We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a This is it, breaking news. Elliot Smith coming to you live from the news center. It turns out we're just getting this report. Willian has played a progressive pass. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, It is breaking news. I want to read it out to you because it is important. Willian, it says here, has played a forward pass. And uh, we wanted to bring you that news live as it happens. Uh, The actual stat, Willian completed 28 passes against Villa, 25 of them backwards. Uh, was that his fault? Was it other people's fault? It will all be part of the inquest that is indeed going to go on as broken cannons go on the top of newspapers everywhere. Arsenal nil, Aston Villa three. Joining me to discuss it is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello. And Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed, Tim. You were left out of what I felt was an impassioned instant reaction over on Patreon. If you want the unvarnished truth, not the truth that we varnish, uh, that's where you go. But you missed it. You missed it, my friend. But hopefully you will bring the thunder today. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I listened to it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. (laughs) Too kind. Patron Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter. at Uh, We will be talking about the Lawnmower 3.0 later uh, because you want to be smooth when you are tearing the club limb from limb. Uh, Tim, look, one of the things that coaches do, and it's not just Arteta, but it's coaches. Coaches do this. If a team gets them a result in a big game, they just play the team again. Even though sometimes different games call for different things. And like, as excited as I was about the United result, we sort of look, we went very positive after the United result. And rightfully so. Nobody wants to hear you 
uh, ding the club, ding the coach, ding the players after a 1-0 win away at Old Trafford for the first time in 14 seasons. No matter how where United are right now, it's a good win, it's a big win, it's a big result. But we sort of hinted at the acknowledgement that, you know, Still about seven shots, you know, less than expected goal created. That the, the creativity aspect wasn't there, but there were other elements of the performance that were good. And on the day, don't criticize it, praise it. But he picked the same team. And I think it was one of those, these guys got me the result at Old Trafford, so I'm sticking with them. And I understand it psychologically, but I was concerned creatively. Tim, I think when you lose 3-0, there is a tendency to talk about the defense. In my view, the attack is the story. So I'm curious... Did he maybe make a mistake just sticking with a team, the structure of which got him the result at Old Trafford, but but maybe couldn't hurt Villa enough at home? Yeah, 100%. Um, as you know, I, I fall more on the Clive side of the spectrum where it comes to the starting lineup in that it's not that I don't have thoughts um, when the team lineup comes out. It's just my, my attitude is always, well, wait and see what happens because... Um, seeing the lineup is one thing, how it's used is another. Like seeing, you know, seeing the tools in the toolbox is one thing, but, you know, I'll wait and see um, until, you know, until we start to go to work. But this was one time. Um, so to give it a bit of context, I watched this on an iPad on a train back uh, from Manchester from uh, a poor result for the Arsenal women, unfortunately. Mm. And um, and so when I saw it, I, it was the first time I kind of thought, ooh, not sure about this one really not sure about this one and and actually um uh, you know one of my own phrases really was ringing around my head where i was talking about you know el nenny well we all talked about el nenny and party after the manchester united result and i kind of said this isn't this is a vindication of el nenny in a way but this does not mean that el nenny plays like 38 league games that he's fit for there will be sabios games there will be Xhaka games etc and there are a couple of selections there and and i was i guess surprised by it um, I expected to see David Luiz, for example, in for holding. I thought holding holding is a deep block defender when you're going away from home and you need to soak up some pressure. Fine, play holding. Um, and, and I'll preface this by saying I, I've watched a fair bit of Villa this season and I didn't expect them to play like they weren't ever coming to play 4-5-1 and block us up and everything like that. Like they, they played, they bought some good attackers this summer. Um, they, they were always going to play with a bit of adventure, but... You know, I was looking at the lineup and I was thinking, is this a holding game? Is this an El Nenny game? Um, is this a Willian game? Um, is this a Joe Willock not even in the squad game? And, <laughs> and one of the things I, I tweeted, I think, during the first half was, it, isn't it weird how, like, re, like, you know, we talked a lot at the beginning of Arteta's reign about a meritocracy. And yet at the moment, like, you know, Reese Nelson plays out of his skin in a couple of Europa League games and a Carabao Cup game. Joe Willock playing out of his skin in Europa League games doesn't make the squad. And then some players who I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about who are underperforming play week after week in the Premier League. And so you start to think, well, what's that about then? And no, I don't think we're saying that like Willock and Nelson must start all the time, but to not get in the squad seemed a bit weird. Um, but... Yes, this this was one of the first times, Elliot, where I looked at the starting lineup and I thought, I'm not sure about this because I know these players. Like on one hand, yes, I'll wait and see what happens. But I know Rob Holding; he's been here three and a half years. I know El Nenny; he's been here nearly five. I know these players and know what they do and I know what they don't do. And um, you know, when you play Leicester at home which was, you know, similar challenge to this, really. And your whole game falls apart when David Luiz goes off. 
start David Luiz in the next game. Start him, not because of what he does as a defender, but what he does for you going forward. Um, and I know we might earn a fair amount of derision for saying that David Luiz is one of our most creative players as a centre-back. Um, I don't see it that way. He was at Chelsea as well. He completed more through balls than any midfielder in the Premier League in his last year at Chelsea. Wow. That is what he mm-hmm. that's what he does. Okay. It's not just we are bereft of creativity, but it's not it's not a shame on us that David Luiz is one of our most creative players. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. Um and look, I'm not saying we'd have, you know, won three nil or whatever, but it was just one of those I thought no, this looks like a Louise game. Maybe he had physical concerns because he's had a few injuries this season. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, I think starting El Nenny in midfield didn't really get that. Um, didn't really like seeing Willian and Lacazette in the same front three again. Don't think they can play in the same front three. So all in all, um, I, I'm not going to say I expected a 3-0 defeat, but when I saw that, I thought... Okay, my first thought is how quickly do we end up changing this? How quickly mm. does a sub have to come on to change the pattern of the game? Because I think I know it's going to, what it's going to be. Yeah, hey, and Jim, I ha- can I add one quick thing? Which, I, I would love uh, it if you would, please. I was just about to say, can you add one quick thing? Thanks. And Elliot, it comes back to your point on Willian. Then I definitely who, want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Who I just like to slightly defend. Then I don't want to hear it. I, I know this is not the climb. This is the kind of thing that can get a man hanged, this, this kind of territory. Speaking up for castle or uh, cattle rustlers, but I'm um, just looking at the average position map for the first half, and Willian is our furthest forward player, and Lacazette's back on the halfway line besides Party for average touches, and Aubameyang is about an inch from the left wing. So I'm not saying Willian was good, or he's been good. He's been kind somewhere between mediocre and shit. Uh, since the mm-hmm. first game, but I don't know who he'd be passing forward to, which is back yep. to your point, uh, Tim, about the the lineup, the selection. This isn't really a defense of anybody apart from. Well, to, to be I fair, see why Paul, he was passing backwards. To your point, if you look at his pass map, well, well, just real quick, if you if you look at his pass map, there are a few passes from Willian at the byline on the right wing, and they all go back to the top of the box because there isn't really anywhere else to go. But like, look at our other approach on the left wing; it was all crosses into our. Not tall, not energetic, not able to jump in the air. Uh, center forward who got one header from a really good spot and didn't dispatch it. So, like, you know, I don't know that the plan of getting Willie into the byline is going to do much anyway when you don't have a Joe Willick crashing the box as a second man and the first man crashing the box crashes the box with all the speed and enthusiasm of a a, a rascal being driven around a Walmart. That may not translate, you guys, if you're on the other side of the pond. Those are those little things that uh, people sit in. Um, in shopping centers and drive around and instead of walking, using their legs. Um, Clive, look, I, I admit, when I see a 3-0 to Villa, my mind goes to the nil, not the three, because I don't think defending is generally our issue, as weird as it is to say that. Like, we're, we're not a great team defensively, but I think we are sufficiently acceptable defensively that we could achieve our aims if we defended the way we have. The nil is the problem because the nil continues to be a problem. <laughs> so that's where my eyes go. But I do want to talk about some of the moments because our instant reaction pod got very meta, very macro, and I think that will happen here. And I'd like to at least touch on some moments. We got a really good warning early. They scored a very good goal that probably shouldn't have been ruled out. But to be fair, if ours against Leicester was going to be ruled out, they kind of had to rule this one out because it's the same thing. Um, an offside player who wasn't really interfering uh, ruled out the goal. But... It was an, a, a warning shot because it was a case of passive defending on the right, our right defensive flank. Bellerin holding, you know, the, the 
Willian, who, you know, he's picked for his solidity and his professionalism, that flank got roasted there just being passive when they had the ball deep. And the irony is the next goal they score, that they validly score, maybe it was their second goal, is the same exact thing, passive defending on the right flank that leads to the cross across the box that's, that's slammed home from short, from uh, point-blank range. So before we get into the attacking side of things, I mean, this was the first time we've seen this kind of lackluster passive defensive structure, I thought. Is it is it just simply players not being alive to the danger? What did you see that got them their first ruled-out goal that was sort of a warning sign for what was to come, and and, and why is it Jack Grealish, and, and why don't we have a Jack Grealish? <laughs> yeah, so a lot of teams attack strong on the left-hand side, right? So I always look at, and we do, right? So I was looking at, uh, it's always say it's easier for righties to kick it to the left. It's an easier shape of the foot. The more righties play football, so we tend to go to the left a lot. Lots of teams do it. We're not the only one. And guess what? As the middle left-hand side, I've got Jack Grealish and underpinned by John McGinn with Ollie Watkins running into that channel. That's probably their three most progressive players with a number 10 sticking in behind. So you're looking at our right side, and we we have right side defenders. I think I don't like to. I'm not like you, Elliot. I don't. I'm not going to sit there waiting for the players that I have issues with to have a have a nightmare. But let me just go on this right hand side. I'm not just say, waiting for it. I actually write what I think about it before <laughs> it happens, and then just check the box if it does. And that's perfect. It's like exactly. a checklist. And so Tim said something. We know who Rob Holding is. Now, Rob Holding. So I tell you what he is. He's really good straight ball defender. And I and I held my hand up against Rashford. I thought he was tremendous because I had the same worries that day. But what we did against Rashford, we smashed him and smashed him off his game. So they never went into that channel. And so Rob Holding, straight lines, good when he's going back towards his own goal. When he's close to his own goal, by the way, he's great in the air. Mm-hmm. It's got to be straight lines. Bellowing, straight line defender. Touch, go. Straight lines. All the time. The moment you get them stood still and they got a track side to side, I want you to watch them. I just want you to watch them. Their ability to track diagonal runs and movement when they're close to the goal, they literally go from 8 out of 10 defenders to 2 out of 10 defenders. Mm. Right? And it's, just, it's just who they are. They are straight. So what they do to mitigate that, what Rob Holding does, is that he tries to get very close in contact and engage very early in the phase of play. So the second and third phase of play, when he has to track side to side, doesn't find him out which I find it amazing how he let them sort of build up play on the edge of the air on the, on the first goal. He's let them, he just let them do it. And I thought, that's amazing. Bellerin does it by being front-footed, massively front-footed. So he gets in behind, he intercepts, and he punches it, and he goes. So he defends by attacking. Mm. That's why he looks quite creative, because his best work is done 50 yards away from our goal. Is that a fair comment? Right, well, so, we could use a couple more of those players, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but the people like him because he puts in crosses and he and he, he's brave running off the ball. He got the penalty at Old Trafford, and I held my hands up and said, "He's got the personality to play for Arsenal." Cup final goal, and he ran forward and got smashed. All his best work is done away from our goal, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's your choice. It's your choice of poison. Right? I like a defender who can defend a bit. Do you know what I mean? Who can go forward a bit? Right? So. And so what do Aston Villa do? They go into that side and they did it continually. And, and how they did it was they they do what we try to do. They try to overload in zones. They get people there early and they can, they spun their heads off just by passing it around together. And we lost defensive intensity, which we were intense ball stuff on the day. 
So that's all that happened, mate. And all they did is uncover our weaknesses. And that's what football's about. We've all got strengths. But then a team comes along and says, I'm, I know that guy's weakness. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to the forefront. It's a very interesting thing that Dean Smith said after the game. He said that we looked at the data and we can see that Arsenal scored the most goals from building out from the back. So we're going to press. And I thought, shit, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought they might do a Leicester, you know, and sit in. I honestly did. So I didn't expect that. And so, again, I keep coming back to this. I said this about two, three weeks ago. We are a good side that maybe did some funky things with our shape and, and hybrid system that people are now looking at and thinking, bloody hell, this team is well coached. We've got to think of a plan to stop them. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Leicester had a plan, which was much more, can okay, make it a 20-minute game. Do you know what I mean? In the last 20 minutes. And Villa had a different plan. And we failed on both of them. Manchester United probably thought they'd just beat us because they were confident. And we had a plan for them. We thought we're going to engage them, we're going to smash them, we're going to turn them around, and we're going to play in their half. And we're going to press. Wow. Three different games, three different plans. And this is what the game is going to be like, which which I am I am less like I'm I'm trying to learn not to lurch because every game has a plan. And it's almost as if your tactics beat the other team's tactics. Although, Elliot, I will say there are trends which are impossible to ignore. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, it is it is difficult for me sometimes because Arteta, in his post-match comments, acknowledges many of the problems that we see. But with the way he sets the team out, it's hard to see that he's trying to fix those problems. That is the tension for me. I don't think he's not so smart that he doesn't see the issues. If I'm some idiot out in the world watching on TV and I see the issues. Like, he sees them. He's got the data. He's got the people who tell him what the issues are. He knows what they are. I haven't yet seen a real strong intentionality to change those things. Paul, I, I'm i curious. It's a chicken and the egg problem for me in some respects. You see Jack Grealish and you see what he brings and, and that energy and, and drive running through midfield and someone who can link defense to attack so quickly and so directly and has the quality at the end of the pitch to make a difference. But like, I think players feel they can run at you more and, and, and bring numbers into your defensive third and, and run through your midfield more when there's less concern about what's happening at the other end. So, I mean, to what extent do you think you embolden a team like Villa in a game like this when they know there's joy for them at one end and less risk than the other. Now, look, I want to be clear. Villa scored seven against Liverpool. So we know they can do it. But they have lost their last two games poorly, conceding, I think, seven over the last two, and they conceded a couple to to Liverpool as well. I mean, how important was it for us, especially after that early warning, to create enough threat that the Villa attack wouldn't feel as unrestrained? I mean, don't you have to... Don't you have to show a team that they they need to be more cautious by putting them under more pressure? Um, well, yeah, that's a very good way to do it. I mean, I think the other way to do it is to play out from the back well. I mean, if they want to press you, that's kind of the idea for us. It's the my analogy of the goat staked out in the clearing mm. in the jungle. Like, you do actually want the tiger to attack it. Um, we were just so lackadaisical in the first while. Um, and you know, I, I'll, I, I agree with Arteta. We, we looked like we weren't on our game from the get go. Now, maybe I think we we're kind of in shock. I mean, they, they, 
they drilled us in the first one minute and 50 seconds with that that chance where they took us apart. And I don't think it was terrible defending by us. I think that could have happened 100 times before this season. They're just really fucking good. And they took us apart. And I think we were rattled. Um, and they had a couple of other moments straight after that. Um, you know, Tier- Tierney slipped and fell on his ass, which talked a little bit maybe about the conditions. Uh, but that was an embarrassing the, moment. Let's be honest. It was, <laughs> but there's two parts to it. There's the conditions <laughs> and there's the being rattled. Right. Mm. And, uh, I think I saw holding looking rattled early on as well. And we were just, we were, we were rattled. And, um, you know, when I, so I would have been okay if our strategy was to play out from the back, if we'd done it better. Uh, but they came at us with a level of intensity and we were asleep. I mean, we got we got a wake-up call, uh, but we kind of opened one eye, hit the snooze button and went back to sleep is the problem after that first first goal. I mean, it was, it was a brilliant goal from them and they got the goal a little later on. I did feel we were beginning to get into the game a little bit more as it went along. Um, party was a big loss. Um, but but it doesn't move the basic problem we have, which is you struggle to see how we score two. Go- you know, when we went to goal down, I thought, well, at least that makes it clear that we need this is a game where you need to score two goals. So that 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 makes that clear. Maybe this is maybe this is a moment where we start realizing you got to come into every goal, th- every I, I game. I hate thinking- to bring it up, Paul. What was the game under Emery where we were losing and down to ten men? Was it Sheffield United? What? What was the game? That Villa. was Villa. Palace. That was Villa. Villa. It was Villa. And we came back, and it was arguably the best attacking display we had under Emery. And everyone said, see, if he just tells them to go out and attack, this group can do it. And I, the only reason I reference it is this was a game where we needed to go out and attack, and instead the entire structure yeah. fell apart. I, I, I tweeted out, the thing that scares me, Paul, is this is a structure that is designed to win games 1-0, that is designed to keep it very tight, yeah. fine margins, and eke it out if it can. And... The problem is the first time this structure had to be tweaked to try to go get back in the game, instead of getting us back in the game, it actually completely fell apart, if if you see what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And as we push forward, you realize we you know, the glue hold in this this uh uh nineteen oh seven aircraft together uh was was like Oh dear! Well, uh, ironically, our right the- wing was born in 1907, so you know it's, oh, that's okay. an apt analogy. <laughs> yeah. So, it, like, here's my I thoughts on the lineup and the way we're playing. We picked the lineup that played against United, and then took a totally different game plan. And what you know, we don't press as a team, but we did against United. Um, yeah, I don't know why we didn't Clive, try that again. <laughs> yeah, Clive talked about uh, holding and where he looks good and how he looks good. I mean. We basically had a very sophisticated, uh, maybe that's an overstatement, a somewhat sophisticated pressing game against United that made sense with this lineup we against we played against Villa, but we went back to being one of the least pressing teams um, in the league against Villa, and they showed what they can do when they when we dri- when they dribble at us. I mean, we're mm. terrible against the dribble generally. Um, but you look at what we did against United, especially in the first half. We had the three guys up front uh, in position. They weren't running around like headless chickens. They were just cutting off passing lanes, putting the pressure on them, playing out from the back. The midfield was on it. The the defenders were pushing up. I mean, if that's what you want to do, great. Th- then play the same 
Yeah, and those are our two gimmicks, basically. Our only two creators, because we don't have any creative mm. uh, players and we don't do anything clever in the final third. We have two gimmicks, one of which is playing out from the back really well. And the other is when we press and use the press as a playmaker. And ironically, we nearly got a goal in this game with party pushing right up and pressuring the, uh, their center back and the keeper. Statistically, it was our biggest chance of the game. <laughs> yeah, it was a one-off. It wasn't even a shot. Um, yeah. So well, it didn't make sense. And the problem for Arteta is he's left him in a... You know, I, I got my toothpaste thing, but he's left himself mm. in a stage where we've only got the, our bottom third worked out and he's nowhere near to having the middle and the attack. Uh, you know, I think the logic for Willian is he wants to be able to sustain attacks. And yeah. we're nowhere near getting to the point where we need to sustain attacks. And you need numbers. Attacks. You need, if you're going to have uh, a Willian in the team, you need numbers in attack. Because and you can't have Lacazette to, to the left of Willian getting overrun every game by centre-backs and no. Aubameyang way off on the left, n- not even getting a touch and not being a guy who, who who's going to maintain possession for you and a two-man midfield behind it. You're not going to maintain possession in attack. Yeah. So well, well, it, it's we're miles off where he wants to be. If it makes... Arsenal feel better. I have the opposite problem is my bottom third is not together at all. I got real problems in my bottom third. The top third and middle third are not great either, to be fair. Um, sure. So, Tim, real quick, let me read you something that, that Mikel said. I mean, he said, what is certain is that with these numbers, scoring this amount of goals is impossible to fight with the top teams. So we have to maintain the numbers we have defensively in our organization. And for sure... We have to improve our numbers attacking-wise if we want to be challenging and if you want to be consistent in winning football matches. I mean, he says it point blank. With these numbers, we cannot fight with the top teams. So he knows it. He knows that the structure he's put in place and whatever it's achieving is not going to get us where we want to go without more goals. Um, And and I, I love that he knows it. What I would say is there's really one of two possible ways you can look at our challenges in attack. One... The people he's picking to play can't do it. Or two, the way he is sending them out to play can't do it. Or some combination of the two. And I guess what I'd ask you is, you know, I looked in this game and it reminded me of the Leicester game a bit where there was more of that horseshoe passing around the middle third, less incision. Once again, that that central attacking zone was pretty much left un, un, unoccupied. It was lava again. And so I... I am curious for you if you are ready to say that this system and whatever this system provided for us has to be substantially reworked over the next two weeks before football comes back. Because whether you hate Lacazette and Willian or Aubameyang or Pepe or Saka, I mean, there's some talent there, but I don't see the numbers sufficiently there in the box around the dangerous areas. I think we mentioned this against Leicester. We've touched on it even in the United game. The five attacking channels are too flat. They're not staggered. The guys who are in the widest channels are so far from goal as to not really be incorporated in the attack, regardless of where their average touch position is or their location. So for you, tell me how you would apportion the, the problems in our attack right now. Um, in terms of the personnel versus the attacking structure? So when all of the attacking personnel or all of the personnel in a particular unit are simultaneously underperforming, 
that tells you something. That's a good point. So Willian's underperforming, Lacazette's underperforming, Aubameyang's underperforming. We can't get Pepe to do what the manager wants. So that tells you something. Now, the fault lines on all of those players are different. So there's like there's a spectrum for all of them. Um, some of the, so for example, for Aubameyang, I would say it is mainly the system and maybe a little bit him, whereas perhaps for Lacazette, I'd flip that. But maybe that's that's my bias. What I know for sure is we've got four um, really like expensively acquired, if you think of Willian's wages and not the fact that we got him on a Bosman, four expensively acquired attackers and none of them are performing. So that tells you something, right? Because what we've got with this system, this kind of 3-4-3, it works in the big games because it relies on playing on the margins of the games. And if you and, and usually the big games are decided by a goal or a moment or something. And so in those games, it it you know, look, it won't work every single time because when you play on the margins, sometimes you'll lose them, sometimes you won't. But you can see that broadly, you know, we've played City a couple of times, Liverpool a couple of times, Chelsea, and you know, we've we've been either side of a, a fairly marginal result on every occasion, but we've been getting much more results um in those games under Arteta than we had for years previously. But when you play on the margins in these games, different like very very different and and i think in a way we may be um this was chickens coming home to roost we maybe got done a little bit by variance mm. to lose three nil um and so like i think there are still things he can do within this structure right and and i guess um if if he got so desperate that he was to ask me for advice i'd say to arteta don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good like putting a bamiang up front no that's not going to solve everything putting pepe on the right no that's not going to solve everything but you know it might make things a little bit better because when i look at our, our attack you know we talked about the five lanes what i really don't see what i saw with the villa disallowed goal and villa's first goal and, and well all of their goals actually i was like wow they've got movement like I got, you know, you know, when you get so used to watching a team play a particular way, you almost cut, you, you can't like it sticks out at you on the screen when they're playing triangles around you and, and things like that. I, I don't see like a triangle anywhere for Arsenal. I don't, I don't see that that connecting player. I don't see, you know, and you quite often it comes from midfield, but it can come from wide. I don't see that player. And actually, there are um, a few things I think that Villa have done that that we could learn from. You look at Villa, they finished 17th last season. They they stayed up by the skin of their teeth. What were their big problems? Shit goalkeepers. What did they do? <laughs> they bought a good one. Um, what were their other problems? Shit strikers. What did they do? They bought a good one. What was their other big problem? Too reliant on Grealish. Like everything went through him, became boring, stale, predictable. What did they do? They brought in Bertrand Traore from Lyon. That's, you know... That may or may not work. We'll see. And they got Ross Barkley on loan. So they've immediately removed some creative burden from Grealish. Grealish's numbers are going through the roof now. He's got five assists and four goals this season. That is 50% of their goal contributions. And that's because they've taken some of the pressure off of him. And the way they've been able to do that is because they've immediately become a ta- like a more threatening attacking team because they bought a good striker and a couple of good creative midfielders. And you know, they bought a good goalkeeper, but what do you know? They're actually, they're defending better as a result. So they didn't come to us, you know, and play four, five, one and hope for the best like they did when they beat us, you know, in July, that was a four, five, one hope for the best. And they did it. 
this was a no we we've got the players to take you on now and this this is where I don't know, maybe we're a bit hamstrung because we've invested so much in these attackers that aren't working. But this is where I wonder if we're overthinking it a little bit as well. And um, I guess uh, I'll leave you with one more thing that Villa did this Mm. summer. They brought Craig Shakespeare into the coaching staff because they had Dean Smith, whose uh, experience is all lower league, um, Walsall, Brentford. Uh, They got John Terry, his first ever coaching job. They brought in Craig Shakespeare. Um, and I'm not saying that is like completely the reason, but Dean Smith kind of thought, okay, maybe my coaching staff's a little bit inexperienced. I'll bring in someone who, you know, is coach at Leicester, which means he coached Leicester when they fought relegation. He coached Leicester when they won the league. He's got a good breadth of Premier League experience. And they just brought another more senior voice in. And, uh, and yeah, sometimes you've got to look at your opponents and sometimes you can learn things from them. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing you can be sure when you bring in Craig Shakespeare and he has to address the team, it's not going to be a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I think we can all agree on that as he pulls out maybe the only Shakespeare quote I have at my disposal. I'm sorry, it had to be done. Look, I mean, what did you expect from me? It's what I do here. Before we um, clean up uh, our privates, Clive, the the extent to which I believe this season can result in in even remote chances of of goals being met. Those goals either being winning the Europa League and getting the Champions League that way or pushing for top four. And maybe we don't have a right to expect top four, but at least being in the discussion. I mean, we shouldn't be cut adrift from it, that's for sure. And I'm not saying we are, by the way. But the extent to which I see that happening is driven entirely by Mikel Arteta's ability to get our shot count up, get our chance creation up, get our, our goal threat up, and become a team that is not so easy to play. I mean, the irony is, you know, we beat United at Old Trafford. I don't think they would have come away saying, gosh, they were really hard to play. Um, it's They might say, gosh, you know, we played like crap, and they did. But I don't think they're going to be like, you know, we were scrambling around trying to keep them out. Um, now, look, I-, I am sympathetic to a lot of the things we've covered here right now. But in my view, there is there is a lack of that connectivity between the double pivot in midfield and the front three. That is not, you know, it is easy to just say put Aubameyang central, and he should do that. And we'll come on to that uh, in a bit. The connectivity is not there. Thomas Party going out affected this game, but even when Thomas Party was in it, there, Lacazette can't do the job that I think in his in his mind's eye, Arteta is giving him to do. I don't think we just need to take Lacazette out of the center and replace him with Aubameyang. I think we also need a player to do the other job Lacazette's been given. I think Lacazette's basically given two jobs. Be the number 10 and be the number 9. And I don't think he's good enough to do either right now. And as a result, I think we have to replace him not with one but two. So in your view, can this system, just by tweaking it, can can it ever do what he wants to do. I mean, Clive, it's almost a season under Arteta now. And this season, this system has taken shape over the past few months, and it has persistently produced bottom-of-the-table attacking metrics. I mean, we're like 17th in the league in expected goals and, and all the underlying attacking metrics. I don't see how you can play a double pivot and do this five-line of attacking and not slot in another player in between lines. Maybe that's a Joe Willock. Maybe it's that you bring Willian in field or Saka in field, whatever it is. How would you connect the middle to the attack and create more threat? Or do you think it can be done just by changing the deck chairs in this uh, in this attacking Titanic we've built? 
Yeah, um, yeah. I think. Um, how do I see it? Our, when Arteta's first game, he did the four-two-three-one. Double pivot, Shaka going into left back, building up that way. I always think the first thing you do is what reveals who you really are. Then he flipped into a three-four-three a little bit more, but it was a real three-four-three. You know, we were three at the back at all times, and we made that five on occasions. I feel we've moved away from that to a much more fluid hybrid system, right? So for me, the back six isn't a problem. It's the front four. It's the front four. And Tim's highlighted exactly what the issues are. None of them are tearing up trees at the moment, right? None of them are. When it comes down to it, despite your frustrations with the system, I think the system is really quite good. But what we're doing is where we're deploying people and how we're setting them out there. And, I, you know, I'd like to see a, a rotating front four diamond. That's what I'd like to see, right? So but I wouldn't mind seeing some players in form. The only period that I felt this season when I thought, wow, we look good, was a Sheffield United game from an attacking point of view for that 20, 25 minutes, half an hour. When we had a front four diamond, we can name the players that were in it. And then as soon as we saw it, we all went, oh, that looks quite good, right? So, so again, system-wise defensively, how we rotate in and out, I, I quite like it. I quite like I quite like the engaging midfield at Old Trafford. The first time I've seen that in a while. And I quite like a double pivot with the players that we have. It just makes sense. I quite like it. But what we haven't got is the balanced front four diamond. We haven't worked that out. And well, the coach hasn't worked that out. And I said yesterday on the on the Patreon podcast, the reason why I'm not so despondent is you can't fail to see the issues in this one. It's just been, like I said it yesterday, like you've been hit in the face with a fish, right? You can't miss it. You can't miss it. <laughs> just as confusing today as it was it. yesterday. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> and, when, and, and when you see that, when you see these people bumbling around ineffectively, and then you're watching another team absolutely play us with no fear, looking at us, winning all the duels, winning all the races, overloading, agility on the ball, banging in shots, you're asking why Manchester United was slightly different. Well, I'll tell you why it's different. Because Villa went back to front to a centre forward who could actually hold the ball up. Unlike Rashford, who got smashed, Ollie Watkins held the ball up, got fouls, bought fouls, ran the channels. Perfect. He caused stress on the holding side. He, caused, he made Gabriel have his a more difficult game than he normally does have. Right? So, so that's it. So they can play from there. Once they're playing from there, their front four diamond looks good. So we can't press them. People said, why don't we press? Well, they didn't, they didn't allow us to press. Mm. They went long. If you look at Martez's kick-long numbers, they're brilliant. Because once we go once we go back, because they're going to go long, they play it from the back. So if we creep forward, they go long. That's football. That's tactics, right? So so they're challenging us every time. Now, what I'm noticing with Arsenal is we're developing key man dependencies. You know, we're developing around Gabriel. And I do agree to his point about David Luiz. I think it's really good. We're developing around party because as soon as he goes off the pitch, we realize we haven't got him in field again. And, he was class. I'll, I'll give him and, that. I, th- I thought he was class. I mean, he, he can't solve the problem, but what he is doing is is positively impacting. He, he, knows, he knows the job. He knows yeah. the job. And because he and you can see he knows the job. He's only played three or four games. and one of those games, he was literally man-marked. The people know he can see the job. So immediately there's a huge pressure on us to get him a partner because of what Tim's alluded to about Grealish and Ross Barkley that's exactly what's going to happen to him. Unless he gets a partner that can do something with the ball, he's going to get picked on massively. He's going to get stopped because if I'm scouting Arsenal, I'm looking at him, I've got to stop him, you know? And Aubameyang seems to have lost a little bit of fire. He lost a bit of fire, regardless of how he, where he's playing, he's just literally doing 
he's just dropping the ball off. He's getting it to feet, turning around. And not even turning around, he's just dropping it back where it's come from and just jogging off. He does not look interested at the moment. It's a real concern. So everyone's saying, oh, the system, the system, we've got to be more creative. Well, we need some good players. And let's go be let's go beneath those groups. Then we, then we are into the Nelson Willock, Smith Road type thing. You know, we've got a problem. You know, we've got to get these guys playing better. You know, we not we not a couple of them we a couple of them we're thinking you're done. But we, we can't afford to do it because we're now relying on experience, on experienced inexperienced kids. And you guys were saying, you know, we why won't Willock and um Nelson in the squad again, one of them was injured. But who's gonna come out? Mate and Niles in the England squad, Shaka is in, you know, Swiss captain. There's no room. You see what I mean? There's no room to get these guys in unless they make sizable changes and chin a couple of players, say you're out. Well, the squad construction doesn't make sense, Clyde, but you have to put the players in your team that can solve the problems you're having, right? I mean, like having yeah. an you know a fourth central midfielder in your squad when you don't have any facilitating attacking midfield midfielder feels wrong. You know, you have El Nenny and Party yeah. starting, you have Ceballos and Shaq on the bench, and you don't have any kind of facilitator or or instigator yeah. on the bench. Where, that's that's I, an issue. You know, that's where the hard decisions have to be taken. But now he's been hit in the face. He's going to have to look at this, isn't With the he? Fish. He's, he's going to have to look at these hard decisions. He mentioned, you know, all, all the top managers are moaning about the five subs and the fact that the squads have been reduced by a couple of numbers because they can't, they have to leave people out of the squad. It's a problem for them. They want them in the squad. They want their squad together. They want to be able to have named two or three more on the bench. I don't see any issues why you can't. And that's something that made for the, the game to look at post-international break because we're seeing some big injuries in the game. But not to give Arteta a pass, he has got to make some decisions. And to me, they are, and to me, not just not just me, to everybody, they're becoming massively obvious. Mm, and I, I think what I want to do with the rest of the podcast is talk a little bit about Arteta and the job he's doing and talk a little bit about our creaking front line and, and get into... Some of the macro questions, some of the meta questions, some of the big questions confronting us. Because um, we can talk about the incidents in the game a little more if you have <clears throat> a couple that you want to go through. But I, I think with this two weeks coming up, the discussion is really going to center around um, the the macro aspects of our attacking struggles. So I want to get into the big issues. And I think it's pretty clear that one of the big issues that we have to talk about is... How do you get properly cleaned up below the belt in your privates area without nicks and abrasions? I mean, that is, that's one of the big issues. Cause like, if you think about it, like I've gone in the shower and there's that old razor sitting there. It's my wife's razor. And I'm like, I'll just use that. And you come away. And I, I mean, let's face it. Like, it looks like, um, that scene from psycho in the shower when I'm done, you know, like it's not good. It's not good. And then, you know, there's nothing pleasant about a partially shorn area that, that is, uh, has abrasions and nicks and cuts everywhere. You don't want that. And this isn't just for men. This is women. I mean, Manscaped is called Manscaped, but it is for everybody. I think it's very clear. Like, because now I get in the shower and I get this beautiful lawnmower 3.0. The thing is beautiful. It's got ceramic blade, never cuts me, never nicks me. Boom, buzz, done. Love it. Wet, dry, makes no difference. Chest, knocks it out. Eyebrows, I got a guard. I can just buzz those two. And I, I look, by my standards, pretty good. I mean, by normal standards, no, but by my standards, really fantastic. And, you know, it is a gift to my partner because she doesn't, first of all, have the issue with her razor being used in ways it shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, it's just a general, clean, beautiful experience. Look, the thing is battery life that goes forever, so I don't have to even plug it in. It's got a beautiful stand. I can just put it in there if I want to charge it. But I get in the shower, I grab, I clean up, I'm done. 
I mean, th this is the thing, like, right? Like, just because something is embarrassing to talk about doesn't mean it's not important. Men, see, men have this issue. Women, to their credit, are really good about discussing the tricky stuff. You know, the tricky stuff. Check your breasts for breast cancer. It's important. But you don't hear men saying, check your, check your balls for testicular cancer. It's really important. You should talk about it. Well, you know what? If you have to shave yourself, you should do it the right way. Okay, I get it. You don't want to hear me talking about shaving your privates. There's one way to get me to stop. Go to manscaped.com. Get the lawnmower 3.0. Put in Arsenal Vision at checkout. You get 20% off and free shipping. And you will never have abrasions down there. You'll never have nicks and cuts down there. You'll be nice and shorn and clean. You got to do it, so do it the smart way. I mean, women have so many great beauty products. They really do. They have so many. So many great ones. What do we have? We got an old razor that's been sitting in the shower for four months, and you're like, well, the metal's a little bent, but I'm sure, oh, no, it didn't go well. Just, just, just get it. it. The thing is great. Eyebrows, back, neck, chest, testicles. It's important. I tell you, I tell you Elliot, Paul, stay out of this. Does, stay out of it this. It does a lovely stay, job on your stay. favorite zone, zone 14. Zone 14, yes. You know what? That is, you know what? I'm glad you joined in because zone 14. If you care about zone 14 like I care about zone 14, go to uh, manscaped.com. Put in promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off, free shipping. This has been a tortured, analogy-laden effort to get you to do this. And I don't ever want any sponsor to say that they do not get their money's worth, uh, even if it is a long, long road to getting there. So with that having been said, you didn't have to hear the little banjo music or whatever it is that's usually under this segment. You just have me chatting at you about your privates. Just because something's embarrassing doesn't mean you don't talk about it. We talk about our attack, and it's embarrassing. Now we're talking about Manscaped. Manscaped.com, Arsenal Vision, 20% off, free shipping. Do it. Get the lawnmower 3.0. I implore you. Okay, we are back. We never left, but we're back. Tim, I, I, I mean, there's, there's no question that the coaching is a problem when it comes to the attack right now. I mean, you can love Mikel Arteta. You can love him. You have to acknowledge the coaching is a problem. But I, I am also starting to really be concerned that we have basically three guys in the front line who all potentially are rounding the aging curve in a way that is a little unpleasant. We touched on, touched on in the summer. I kind of hinted at, are we sure we want to give Aubameyang a contract? Now, I'm not saying it was the wrong move. It may, it may prove to be the right move still. But he is 32. And Willian is 32. Or is he 31? Willian, yeah, 30, 31. Willian is 32. And Lacazette is 45 on the evidence of watching him run around. Like, age curves are real. And even though we can talk ourselves into the idea of why this player will beat the age curve and that player will beat the age curve and this player will beat the age curve, right now that front line looks their age. Very much so. Every bit of it. I acknowledge that coaching is a major part of getting them into the right positions. With the money we've given Aubameyang at the age he is, it is last chance saloon here to make another 300000 per week contract look smart. And the way you do it is you put him central <clears throat> and you hope to God he's in position. Arteta was asked about it again after the match about Aubameyang playing central and he sort of acknowledged we need to get him into the zones where he can be more dangerous without saying he had to move him in position. Um, as you look at this front line, two-thirds of it, if not three-thirds, but two-thirds of it looks like it carries no goal threat whatsoever. At what point um, do we have to just accept that the Willian deal maybe was a mistake, that not selling Lacazette maybe was a mistake, and and if we're not going to change the system, change the players? Because I I don't see how you can have so few attackers on the pitch, and then two-thirds of those guys are as sh goal-shy as we're seeing. I mean, if Willian scores a goal this season, I'd be shocked on, on the way things look right now. So for you... Do those two have to be taken out now, and do we have to 
move away from them to, to try to jumpstart this thing? Yeah, I think so, because at this stage you look at it and say, well, what do we lose by taking them out? Because sometimes you can, you know, you can make a case for, and I, I think Paul made like a, a decent case for why Williams passes were backwards. And, and, and it, it totally makes sense because his, his attacking partners are miles away and nowhere near the goal. And there isn't that connectivity and there's not those triangles and all those things we've already talked about. So, but, I mean, at the moment, you'd say, so what do we lose if we take out Lacazette, for example? Why does Arteta like him? Because he's that kind of nine and a half. He's mm. like a nine and a ten. I mean, is he at the moment? Not really. He has like, neither I a nine nor it. a ten. So therefore, yeah. you know, he's neither. He's yeah, a false precisely. nine and a half. He's a false nine and a half, yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And and I get the argument, I guess, against putting a Bamiyang up front is that you don't get that kind of connector. But the way I see it, we don't really have it anyway. Um, and of course, then, you you know, you've got the Pepe discussion and, and you guys kind of um, alluded to this on the Instant Reaction pod as well. What makes Pepe really interesting is he is the only attacker we've got that is like between the age curves, you know? So what we've got, if, if you wanted to be um, really positive, you'd say, well, we've got Saka there. We've got Martinelli to come back. And in my head, I'm projecting forward and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice to have Saka left center mid, Martinelli left wing, Tierney coming up. There's your triangle on the left. Leave Aubameyang out of that. Get him in the middle on the end of all of that. There's there's your left triangle for the next five years. Saka, mm. Martinelli, Tierney. <clears throat> Saka and Martinelli have already shown that they've got a good partnership. They showed it earlier this year when they were in the team together. And so if you're projecting forward, you're thinking, well, maybe on the upside, some of these, unfortunately, Williams not because we gave him three-year contracts. But like Lacazette, we didn't give him a contract this summer, right? Yeah. That That tells you what Arteta really thinks of him. Um, that he's he's there like he's there as a bridge at the moment. So we kind of know that he's not longed for Arsenal in the long term. So that essentially one way or another, that's a problem that's going to go away. Um, but but, you know, it's it's having like three big ticket attackers who are in their 30s and then a couple of teenagers that that's not good. That's not how you progress. It's it's Pepe who's at the age where and who's got the the, the the kind of the number investment-wise behind him that you look at and you think, like, you've got to try and make this work now. You've got every excuse to do it now in that the attack is not firing. And I think, like, even when Pepe came on yesterday, I don't know, I was looking at my timeline, and he didn't do a great deal, but he he had, like, a shot. And that, like, our attack is so bad at the moment that the fact that he had a shot bought him a lot of credit. Um, and like rightly so, because, you know, he just took the ball and immediately his thought was, I'm going to have a crack at a goal. And it wasn't a bad one. And and that's kind of um, what you don't get with Willian and Lacazette. I think in reality, like, let's say they're both in form. I still think you can only have one of Willian or Lacazette in the front line. I don't think you can have both of them, particularly not without a midfield runner. I, I think Lacazette always looked better when he had Ramsey um, in the team because Ramsey is the guy who makes that run, um, you know, who creates jeopardy in the box, creates movement, and then Lacazette either gets on the end of something or he does the decoy run, which he's quite happy doing. And, uh, and Lacazette had quite a good relationship with Ozil as well. And mm. I, I, for him, for Lacazette, I think the big problem is that we've lost Ramsey and Ozil and, we have, and we've got no replacements for either of them. Um but uh, but then also there's there's kind of 
it's just they're they're three they're so separate they're such separate entities at the moment that front three and i don't think simply changing the personnel necessarily changes that but what you want then is you want more dynamic players who are at least capable of of playing in that structure and i think basically at this stage someone like pepe is more capable of that than willian mm. um willian's the structure guy what's the point when your structure's crap what is the point in holding a crap structure together yeah and, and i you know i think a big linchpin of defending <clears throat> some of the really weird moves we made in the summer, and in particular the Willian move, that looked stupid from the moment we did it and is stupid and will always be stupid. But the the linchpin to the mental gymnastics to talk ourselves into the move was he will play more central and provide us that third in midfield that we don't have, and he's a cheap way to get sort of a, a 10. We didn't get a war, but he'll play kind of that role between the lines, and we can still have Pepe right and Saka left and Oba central. And, like, none of that happened. That was us fantasizing a way to make a bad deal make sense. What's really happened is that a... Uh, dead-on-arrival Willian has played on the right in lieu of a guy we invested 72 million pounds in at the beginning of his prime, Oba is still on the left, and Laka is still uh, the sucking void of attacking moves in the center of the pitch. And like, so th- the the mental gymnastics we went through to try to justify these moves have proved to be just that mental gymnastics. But it is easy to describe a problem that exists; it is harder to solve it. And Clive, the issue is not describing the problem. Everybody knows at this point now, if they didn't at the beginning, that the Willian move is dumb and it hurt us. Fine. Everybody knows that Lacazette is not. He's not getting the magic back if he ever had it. That's fine. The issue is solving it. One of the things that really scared me in this game, I felt that when we went 2-0 down, you saw the team... I don't want to say quit. Quit is a loaded word, but what I mean is you could see in them that they knew they couldn't get back in it. There was never that crashing the box, all hands on, you know, that that frenetic way. Sometimes when a big club gets down and the small club winds up, you know, they have a lead they weren't expecting and then they bunker in and they get bombarded. There was never that moment. The team didn't seem to have a plan for just kind of pushing them back and and going after them. And I'm I'm curious what you thought of the sort of end game in this game where actually, if anything, it looked like Villa felt very liberated and attacked with lots of freedom, and we never really made them uncomfortable. We never, we never did that thing that you sometimes see big clubs do, even when they're losing to a small club, which is like make make it a nervy finish. It was, it never happened. The team looked like, and, and Aubameyang's body language at the end, straight down the tunnel, and I understand it's very disappointing, but like never looked like they knew how they were going to get one back, let alone two or three. Yeah. Yeah, we were. We have to hold a hand up. We were beaten good and proper. Mm-hmm. Let's not mess about. We were beaten. We were beaten physically, technically. I mean, there's nothing more embarrassing for a player than when Jack Grealish run running with the ball, washed off Bellerin, just like that, and pushed him ten feet away. That's 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 authority. That is where in charge of you, right? So let's have our systemic chats. But football for me, as you know, I. It's about it's about jewels. It's about putting your authority on people. And Villa put their authority on us from minute one, and we had no reaction. When that goal went in, we were all in shock, weren't we, in the first minute? We were all in shock. But what changed? We just thought we'd just carry on, carry on playing. They did a great job of stretching the pitch, which immediately makes us not as strong as we want to be. 
right? They did a great job of getting to zones they wanted to go and staying there. They did a great job of creating waves of attack by ringing the box with McGuinn and, and Louise, I can't remember his name now, she's gone, Douglas Louise, right? Uh, they did a great job of ringing the box really smartly. Tracer going on the, on the back stick, just doing running up and down. And I just thought they did a fantastic job. We didn't put their centre-backs under pressure, but when we did, we had to go along, and six foot 100 Tyrone Means could deal with that, right? Unless you run him down the side, that's when it gets difficult. Well, Lacazette's not going to do that, is he? Right? So mm-hmm. they, they won the game. They beat us in all aspects of the game. They took everything away from us, right? So as we were stretched, as we became fearful at the back, we dropped away. As our fours became more tired, which we know we're not a good second half team in when it comes to energy, we stopped pressing. They could get out and sustain things. So then what happens then? Our midfielders try to get some authority. They have these big spaces. They try to run and manipulate. And they're not very good at running and manipulating the ball to create angles because passes are not there. So they get robbed, transition back onto our back four again. They don't feel confident. They're not engaging like they were at Manchester United. They got no protection like they had against Manchester United. There was no party firing in. There was, and only took some emboldenment from him. So he stopped firing. He's thinking, well, I've got to get us back in the game. Let me get on the ball. We've got to get on the ball midfield with slow runners. This is the game. We were beaten fair and square. Of all the games... Since Arteta's come in, this was the one that I feel we've lost the worst, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it felt it was, you know, we've lost games narrowly, but I can see I can see the team. I can see what he's doing. I can see this was like almost almost like um if it was Emery, we'd be saying he'd lost a dressing room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it literally was that bad. He certainly he lost them on the pitch momentarily, right? Like there was I yeah. mean, I you hate doing the body language analysis, but Clive, do you think it's fair to say that like and look, when you're losing 3-0 at home to Villa, you know, you your heads are going to go down. But that the belief in what they were doing wasn't there in the last half hour of this game. Is that fair to say? Um, but the belief, the physical capability, I don't think we were tuned into this game from, from the first minute. I just don't think we were. And I was, I'm looking around, and I'm looking around. And the only person I'm looking at is Pepe because Aubameyang just lost it um Lacazette lost it maybe never had it right so um Saka looked kicked to death and he always has his tendency to always be half injured when he's playing you know and <laughs> and so we're in a situation where I'm looking for my hope and I, and I and I can't see it and then you start to look at the younger players and wonder what could happen you know so I was wondering when um uh party went off how to replace him and I was thinking I wasn't sure I knew it'd be a halftime sub but I was hoping it was going to be Pepe for, for, for actually, I was going to say um, Lacazette and then move William over to the left and go that way, right? But when Artie went off, I do think we made a mistake bringing Sabayas on. And I can see why he did it, because he's thinking, I've got to bring someone on creatively. But actually, what we needed was leadership. So it, it had to be one of... I, don't, um, I think he wanted Shaka. to speed the passing, mostly. That, that was my yeah. thinking on Sabayas. Oh, yeah, I can see it, yeah, well, I can see it, Paul. I, I thought it should be Shaka or one of David Louise because I think we need when your team is falling like that, you know, falling emotionally, falling physically, bring on one of the two captains basically because they run the club, right? They run the dressing room. Bring them on, one of those two on. I don't care what you got to do with the system. Bring one of those two on to slap everybody around the face, so you know, because 
I thought we were missing something there. So let's fix it. Look, look, I don't disagree. Let's fix this. And I mean, this is the thing, Paul. Mikel Arteta has has one thing going for him. And I said this in the instant reaction pod. One of the things he has going for him is the pandemic. In that, with no, no fans in the stands, he doesn't have to be confronted by loud booing, you know, uh, a vociferous crowd reaction to these performances. Like he, And I mean, you might say, does that matter? I think it absolutely does matter. Because when millions of people worldwide hear a stadium booing a manager, it transmits to the dressing room, it transmits to the headlines in the newspapers, and suddenly a manager can feel under pressure. Without that, I'm not saying he doesn't feel under pressure now, but the pressure is a little less intense as when you're hearing that reaction in real time from 60,000 people in the stands. So here's my point. I think he's got a free hit. If everybody agrees this squad is super imbalanced and maybe just not that good, Paul, isn't the answer not to tinker, but to smash it and try something totally different? If the midfield doesn't function, if the attack isn't linked to the midfield, if if there's not enough running power, like what would it hurt to go 4-3-3 and put Oba central, Saka left, Pepe right, Willick in a number 10 spot, Maitland-Niles next to party? Like, I'm not saying you do that. I'm not saying that, sorry, I'm not saying that'll work. But there's no downside. This... I think Arteta's being, he's just a little too careful. I think he, he's, it's, you know, you ever like overfill a glass, you get a martini and it's like filled to the top and you're like, you're so focused. On, you never get a martini? What's a drink that you've filled near the top? Hot coffee? A Guinness. A okay, Guinness. Again. And you're like so careful trying to walk it back to the table, like for fear of spilling it, that instead of just like carrying back to the table, you're just making tiny little spills the whole way, walking there trying to hold it so soft. So this is a terrible analogy. You're the analogy guy. But my point is that like, like he's trying to be so careful not to break this structure. And what he's missed along the way is the structure isn't really working. It isn't. It's almost a season of league games now. And it's, it's not that it's terrible. It's that it's pretty clearly mid table. The metrics are not, they're not, murky at this point the attack is bad and the defense is okay and a bad attack and an okay defense won't get you there so my point is paul is yeah. it time for big change for for yeah. willick to start for pepe to start for oba central for a 4-3-3 for for tierney to get to play fullback instead of left center back for a maitland niles in midfield or a nelson on the wing like does he have the freedom of having such an unstructured squad and such a challenging squad that maybe he can untether from this structure and try things that are more outside the box as opposed to like little tweaks of a system because like, you know, sometimes the car isn't a little tune-up away from being a a roadster. You know what I mean? Sometimes the car needs to go on the scrap heap. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, yes. And I think he can do it in one of two ways, right? He can just get out there and say, well, it was fun, but it but uh, it took it as far as we're going to get. And I've already made the statement we need to push on from here. We need to go for 90 to 100 goals. So we need to go to phase two, blah, 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 dress it up that way. Uh, you know, he can't say uh, what I did before was shit and it's broken and it's taken us nowhere. So it's kind of like, what's the next phase? Or he can do the fig leaf of, let's face it, some of his... Uh, five of the backs are a hell of a lot more like four at the back than five at the back. Like against City, Saka was a third midfielder for 90% of that game. He was rarely a fifth defender. He was mostly tucked in to a three-man midfield, uh, Mark and Cancelo. We've had plenty of other uh, games where 
uh, for most of 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 the match it looks like we've got three midfielders however we do it he can just kind of go to phase two of his plan and move to a 4-3-3 and what you want to see is like i'm sure it'll be fun hearing clive talking about it but having three men up front isn't the only option we could have Yang and pepe as a two-man attack and do interesting things around that we could have a, a you know, we could put a three-man up front that's scary, and that would be Aubameyang through the middle, Pepe on the right, and alternate other options on the other side between Willian, Saka, uh, Reese Nelson, if we can get him back in the fold, um, uh, like Smith Rowe uh, a little bit later on when he's when he's back in and fit and maybe operating as a, a winger that drops into the midfield. There are interesting things we could do um, it's interesting, though, it's hard to say you've got a, a scary front three um, who can play most games at the moment because we've basically got a scary front one. Aubameyang Pepe's not really the option right now because he just seems to be in a little bit of a funk and Arteta hasn't successfully integrated him into his plans as opposed to he doesn't have the talent. And Saka, as we can see, will wear down if you play him every game. Um, so he needs mm. to be a rotation option. And he, you need to be able to take him out. And, you know, maybe the fluidity of an Aubameyang-Pepe-Willian setup where uh, maybe Willian isn't brilliant from the left, but you move him around during the game. Uh, what, what do you so think of him uh, on the bench or out of the squad entirely? Is that a place you could move him? Would that would that be cool? Yeah, well, you, you then have like a blank on your <laughs> your 11. So Didn't, didn't we already know. have that against Villa? <laughs> well, also, if Aubameyang's running in behind, he'd score a few forward passes most likely so we might see the other side of them um l- l- look it's hard to come up with the scary front three unless you assume that that uh, saka can play every game which is worrying uh you know an uh an impressive midfield three of you know i was thinking about this who's who's our best three in terms of maybe we don't know perfectly how to put them on the field at the same time but i actually think our our best midfield three would be Party in the middle, obviously. Get Danny out there. He's been good if he doesn't have to cover the whole field. And I have more time for Chaka pointing forward than sitting back. And I'd use him more as a as kind of an eight. I wouldn't expect him to to pull up trees running backwards. But actually, mm. he's all right once he gets into third, fourth, fifth gear. And with Party beside him, he'd probably be quite reasonable. So, And our back four could be really good. It could be Tierney, Bellerin, uh Luis and Gabriel. And, uh, you know, I think our midfield, uh, Chaka, uh, when he doesn't have to do too many things, can be actually quite creative and effective over on the left, play Danny off the right. Um, mm. And I think that would be an interesting setup. And you can do a little bit of the, when we need to have a five-man at the back, we can keep playing out from the back. There's no reason this lessens it. You just move Chaka over to the left, um, to give a first, fifth person if you want to do it on that side or Danny over to the right if you want a fifth person playing out. I, yeah. I think he can transition to a 4-3-3 or some interesting variation, uh, but he's got to get our better... The main, main issue is we don't have our players on the pitch that that scare the opposition. We've got two, three of them who aren't getting on the pitch at the same time. Does it help that we have players on the pitch that scare me? <laughs> <laughs> that no. I'm scared of them. Um, no, it doesn't. Look, 
this all just sounds to me a lot like trying to talk ourselves into a solution that won't be a solution. Everything you said sounds right. And I'm still convinced if we did it, it would be one nil at best, nil nil in the middle case, or two nil to the opposition at the worst case. Now you might say there is no setup where we start beating teams two nil, three nil, three one, four one. I mean, we haven't scored a goal in over six and a half hours from open play. Why don't you think though that would get us a couple of goals with Aubameyang and Pepe in the front line? Um, I'm not saying it would never get us goals. I, I figure it would get us a goal every three games or so. But like, um, <laughs> I, I don't think Arteta, as, as candid as I can be, I don't think Arteta is providing the access to the front line with the way he's setting the you, team you don't up. Think he can, you don't think he can coach attack. I, that's no, I, I want to be clear. It's not that I don't think he can. It's that I, so I'll give you an example. And Tim, this is, we can get into this. Two weeks from now, we're going to play Leeds. And he's going to put Willian and Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. I just feel it. He can't do it. He's going to put, if parties fit, party and El Nenny in midfield. And he's going to play the back five. And like, you know why? When you're an experienced manager who's won everything in the game and your team's not playing well, you say, screw it, I'm changing this. When you're a brand new manager and every game feels scary and you're like, it's leads away, maybe I don't want to change it yet. Let me get to an easier game to change it. There's no easy game. It's leads away next, then it's Wolves, then it's Spurs. He's going to have to do it at one of these games. And I understand that it's scary to make the big change. It's scary to say, I'm going 4-3-3 and I'm starting Joe Willick and I'm starting Nicholas Pepe and I have less structure and I'm going to be more open at the back, but we've got to create more threat. But you've got to pick a game to do it. And it, the thing that seems to be clear to me is that this he has this idea of the five attacking lanes and the two in the middle that becomes a three with one of the defenders stepping up to join the lines. And I, I, I understand what it, what it is. But I think that the way we do it, the players don't have the, the ability to connect to each other enough. That, that they are too cut off. That they are too isolated. It is too on plane. It's not staggered. There's not enough movement. Dropping in, going forward, dropping in, going. You look at the way it, like a Red Bull Leipzig does it under Nagelsmann. And there's, there's some similarity there. But there's always a player who drops into the space between the lines. Or two. And every pass goes forward. Watch it. It's like clockwork. Someone in central midfield gets it. Turns. Gives it forward to a player who's dropped into space. Turn. Gives it forward to a player on the wing of the half space. And it's forward, forward, forward. I hate to say it, but Ferguson did a lot of that at United. The attack, attack, attack thing was always forward, pass, forward, pass, forward, pass. Or at least carry it into the space between the, defender, the, the, the midfielders. So, Tim, like, it, do you think that... Arteta is just too cautious right now in terms of the risk-reward of making the changes. Like, I I look at this game, and, and I, I realize losing party was a big part of it, but it's not like we were causing them all kinds of problems when he was there. We've addressed that, you know, all right, maybe William isn't at the peak of his powers, to put it politely, and maybe Lacazette isn't at the peak of his powers, but, like, other than the personnel, systemically, is it is it the space between that double pivot and the attack that has to that has to be more consistently addressed in terms of accessing it. I feel like the guy whose responsibility that is is Lacazette, and that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you've hit on something there. I mean, and so I'll start by kind of repeating my um, my observation from a few minutes ago that basically Ramsey and Ozil have come out of the team and we haven't replaced them at all. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to go absolutely like for like, but those are two players who connect the midfield to the attack one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. We don't have any of that. So I kind of think um, the front three is incidental. 
at the moment until they have something behind them that kind of comes forward, that supports them, that connects. Because the whole point in having someone like Lacazette who comes away from the front line um, to kind of do that connectivity is that someone runs behind him. What is the point in Lacazette coming to the centre circle and dragging a defender with him if no one then moves into the space behind? That just makes it really easy to defend. Mm. The whole point in doing that, and that, like the whole reason like it works with Liverpool, with Firmino, for example, is because then you give the defenders a decision to make. They think, oh shit, do I go and follow Firmino and leave space behind me that like Salah and Mane might run into, or do I leave him on his own? And in which case I'm leaving him on his own and unmarked. And does that cause problems? We're not giving defenders those decisions at the moment because we're all on plane, et cetera, et cetera. But this, this is why I guess in a way I feel a bit sorry for Lacazette, who is still creating a lot more goal threat than Aubameyang at the moment. He's scored more goals than him. He's getting more chances. So he's not an entire, like entirely bust. Zero shots for Aubameyang against Villa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's not a complete bust at the moment. It's just when, don't get me wrong, he's a bit of a bust. He is playing badly. He's moving badly, et cetera, et cetera. But, but we're kind of setting him up to fail by getting him to play this role that, that frankly, like only does 50% of a job. And we haven't got any, literally anyone who does that other piece except for maybe Joe Willock. And Joe Willock is not a world beater. Uh, and I'm not saying that dropping him in solves every problem. But again, I guess this is to repeat the phrase from the beginning, like don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Pepe on the right, not perfect. He will frustrate the life out of you. He'll lose the ball uh, by the touchline. Um, yeah, he'll be frustrating. Um, Willock, yeah, he's he's not elite. Not yet. He, he might get there. Not sure he will, but he's getting better. That, that's still but like the way I see it at the moment is that Joe Willock is literally competing with nothing with nothing he is competing with thin air because we don't have anyone that does that job and we need someone to do that job there is not a successful attack that doesn't have some kind of supplementary support and you know we we've had it at times from Saka but he's young and we can't keep expecting him to glue the attack together. We have it at times from Bellerin. Bellerin is the only other one who offers that kind of that supplementary support, that kind of, okay, the cavalry is arriving now, but you know, that that's your, your fallback. Um, and that's one of them. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's not enough. I just think we need that kind of that loose headpiece in midfield that comes forward and that either creatively connects, um, you know, the, the, the midfield with the attack or who I think even better with the players that we've got or the players we're currently playing provides that second run, that third man run into the area like Ramsey used to do. Lacazette looked a much better player with Ramsey in there. I think William would look much better as well because it would give you the cutback option. You would actually have someone to cut back to. Mm. And isn't the idea at the moment that, because you often see Bellerin tucking in when we're in the final third uh, as kind of a midfielder supporting, if you want to call it the semicircular passing, we kind of think of him doing under and overlaps, but he actually spends a lot of time tucking in as a supporting midfielder and you get Saka kind of falling into the same spot on the overside, the other side. That's the idea, but it just hasn't panned out into anything productive. Well, you know the other no, thing about no. the... Yeah, go, Tim, sorry. 
Was that it? I, I was I was just going to say I, w- I wanted to um, share a, a quote from Jack Lang um, actually on today's uh, Totally Football show, which mm-hmm. which I thought really got to the core of it. And he said that Arsenal is like a student that is really good at revising for for and passing exams, but when you ask them questions in conversation, they can't elaborate. Uh, and he said there's no he said there's no fantasy. Um, in the team, and I, I think that's that's a really really good way of putting it. There's no elaboration, and I think I was slightly concerned by James McNicholas's tweet where he was saying, at this point of the game, Arteta is literally telling every single player where to pass the ball at the moment, and that level of micromanagement, that's what you do when you start to panic and you start to get scared, and your anxiety comes out and your anxiety starts to overtake you, and that's my worry at the moment. Well, and he's young, and he's not that distant from his playing career, and he was the midfield maestro himself, and I, you know, I think that there is a desire to control where the ball goes at all times, because it's what he would have liked to have done when he was playing, you know, be the, the hub, the hub and spoke of the... Can I count? Can I yeah, count to that? Please do, please. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a coach that's connected to his team, right? The first thing he does is gets close to his team. And because he can be heard, you often see him point, next one, next one, next one. I do that every week, right? So and I'm not I'm not anxious. It's just a coaching style, right? Is mm. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer got criticised last week at the main night again for sitting up in the stand looking at an iPad. He likes to sit up and be more distant. Arteta likes to be closer. Pep likes to be closer. Klopp is always there on the sideline being really close to his team. It's a stylistic thing. I wouldn't worry about it being... Can I ask you a question about that, Clive, then? But, like, is if he sort of already knows where the ball needs to go with each pass before it gets there, is that indicative of players not having enough uh, sort of improvisational opportunities within the structure? if If you're saying to me, and and Tim called it fantasy, if you're saying to me... Does his team like a bit of improv? Well, we've had that discussion last month, haven't we? Amongst us, right? In different guises. This team lacks a bit of improv. Do you think the, co- do, but do you of, think the coach punishes of, of improv- improvisation and sort of punished it out of the I, side? I don't think... I I have a theory that he doesn't... He hasn't... I've said this for a while. I'm, me and Paul probably agree on this. I don't think he's got to that section of the pitch yet where... I like a Barcelona, you could be position, position, position. We get to a certain zone on the pitch, create. Now, I don't think he's there yet. But I have to be honest with you, I'm not sure he's coming. I'm not saying it's coming. I'm generally not sure. You know, but to me, a lot of the last third stuff is instinctive and it's built and it's born from connectivity. It's born from offensive distances. When you're near each other and you're aggressive to move from zone to zone, things happen. And what this team is missing at the moment is connectivity. We have we have we debate on how that should happen, whether it be eight or a ten in a four two three one. We debate it or having third man runners. We debate it, but all of that is based on connectivity, distraction, running, movement, rotation. That's the sort of thing that defenders don't like. Variation of movement, not just rolling in, but going beyond. And we haven't seen enough of that for long periods to say that we can do it. You've seen a lot of the other defensive stuff and the midfield build-up stuff and out from the back stuff, which is very much pattern play, but we haven't seen the offensive creativity and improv, improv, I can't say the word, (laughs) improv, right? We haven't seen enough of that. And most of us grew up when that stuff just happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Once we got to that final zone, it was like, 
well, this is Arsenal now. My friends just tell me, my Chelsea mates say to me, one thing about you guys is when you get to the edge of the area, it's all on. You know, we've got to stop you getting there. We don't know what you're going to do. Spurs, we know what they're going to do. They're going to whip the ball in and try and find Harry Kane or Deli on the back stick. But Arsenal, it's just so, it's so varied. We're not sure what you're going to do. And that was their biggest fear. They to keep us away from that last third. This team, we've got a Bang Young in the creative role. We've got Lacazette who can't, you can't create, can't trap it. We got William who's suddenly 106. And we got a kid 19, looks our best creator, looks, looks knackered. We've got another guy who's 72 million pounds that needs to be trusted, who's not trusted. Mm. And then we talk about another 20-year-old kid that can't get in England 21 squad. We're we've got some gaps, mate. We've got some gaps. I, we really have. Well, and I t- look. Tim made a point about how Liverpool do it. You know, Firmino's the 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 false nine. It works because they've got players that run in behind, but. Tim, it's not just that. Barkley and Grealish's average touch position against us was in our defensive third or on the edge of it. Yeah, do you, do you uh-huh. understand why that happened? I've got it and I need you to oh, get please, this. All right, please, because, because then reach, I, I want to give you my, my thought. <laughs> yeah. Because they reach Ollie Watkins. Once you have that build up and you're mm-hmm. there, then they become effective. We can't get to our center forward. We can't yes. hold the ball up consistently. But the- but this is where, so Clive, I couldn't agree with you more. But what I was going to say is like when Liverpool do it, when we talk about an, a false nine, a false nine drops to the top of the D, not to the midfield stripe. Like the problem for us is that all our lines are 20 yards deeper than they need to be. You look at Liverpool re- restructured this season. They now play a very high line. Their defenders are standing on the halfway line. Their midfielders are at the edge of the final third and their attackers are by the box. We have defenders... Pushed up, I'll, I'll accept that. But our midfielders, Party and El Nenny's average touch position is on the midway line, the halfway line. So if they're going to give it to Lacazette, they're giving it to Lacazette 45 yards from goal, 35 yards from goal, not 20 yards from goal. So where is the run going to be? The whole attack just starts. When you look at the horseshoe passing we had under Arsene Wenger, the horseshoe passing we had under Arsene Wenger was around the box. The horseshoe passing we have now isn't even in the final third. And it it is an issue that I think this whole team, God, I can't believe I'm going to give credit to Paul's fucking tube of toothpaste analogy, but he's not wrong. The whole team needs to shove up its backside and just be pushed the fuck up the pitch because, you know, I'm looking at the touch maps right now. Every single player's average touch position, barring Willian and Aubameyang, is in our half. I get what we're trying. Play out from the back, draw them in, and play around them. But that's only going to work sometime. Then you look at Villas and Grealish and Watkins and Barkley, and to your point, Clive, you're right, they get it to Watkins, and then Grealish and Barkley can come join. But they're in the final third, so it is... It is a territorial issue, too. How do you link up to the attack? How do you tell the, the the wide forwards to run into the box when the people with the ball are 50 yards from the box? That won't work. So I know I harp on about getting between the lines. Maybe it's not getting between the lines. Maybe it's pushing the line up, being brave enough to take possession 20 yards further up the pitch. But we haven't had players who can keep the ball because on the left, we have Aubameyang, who's a low-touch off-the-ball player, right? And we've got... Guys playing roles that they're maybe not necessarily suited for or comfortable with. Who are our possession guys who are going to confidently carry it into the final third and keep it there? I'm not going to bring up Ozil and guys like that. That's you know we talked about this on the instant reaction about it. Starry decisis. It's 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 decided. It's over. It's done. If this team doesn't push further up the pitch, one way or the other, through different personnel, different structure, or just more aggression, we won't we won't win games. Not enough of them. The the margins yeah, are too I fine, think. Clive. And then I, I want to wrap I up. One last thing. Sorry, guys. I- I think 
uh, Arteta's fearful of single points of failure. I think the last thing yep. he wants to do is to have Aubameyang at centre forward. Because when Aubameyang's out, then then what? You know what I mean? He almost as though he doesn't want to have an Ozil, the game dictated around him. Because then what? You mark number 10 out of the game and everything breaks down. Right? He wants it to be team-centric. And he's trying to build that. And so we, as fans, when we have a defeat, we go the opposite way. We look at those players and we become player-centric in our analysis. And we say, move him, move him, move him, play him, play him. If, when you're thinking about that, think about it from within a team system. And for me, what really was concerned about this game was the team broke down and the players broke down. In a lot of the games that we lost, I could still see the team. Player might have missed X chance. I could still see the team. I might want a couple more shots, but I could still see the team. I didn't see the team for minute one in this game. And so now we've got a problem as to why that happened. That surprised me. From the moment he's got here, he has had his team behind him every single game. Seriously, mate, every single game until this Villa game. And that, that is something that I did not predict. I think Arteta has done a lot of what he's done due to the PTSD he had from his Arsenal years and from looking at who Arsenal are and saying what has been our flaw under Wenger for the last decade and under the the managers who came after. And he's like, we are not going to get done on the counter time and time again like we used to. Uh, Kind of top-heavy up front, getting done the other way. And ironically, that's... When we came apart at Villa, that's what it turned into. And I think he's been so careful to have uh, bizarro Arsenal, alternative Arsenal, um, that he's decided that's where he wants to build from, uh, to build a level of solidity and a spine to this team that it hasn't had for forever. And that that was how he was going to build forward. And I think that's that's his rationale. And then ironically, you see the Villa game and they absolutely did to us his nightmare of what he thought Arsenal might be if he didn't take this current approach. Tim, I, I think as a last point here, there's always this thing that starts to happen when it goes bad, that the conversation becomes very macro-oriented, that we... We don't look at a game as a game. We look at it in the context of everything all at once. The signings were shit. The recruitment's no good. The age curve is broken. The system doesn't work. And like, I'm curious whether you think the path to being good and effective is maybe closer to where we are than we think. I I think there are a lot of people that could use a little faith right now because I have to admit, when I look at how we built the squad, when I look at the ages, as you've referenced, some very young players, some very old players who look like maybe they might be past it. When I look at now, you know, 28, 29 games or so of 17th, 18th in the league, you know, 16th in the league XG numbers, it doesn't feel close. I'm curious, just in your opinion, is is this closer to being fixable through tweaks to the system and and sort of persisting with the general theme? Or is it, one way or the other, going to have to be re- ripped up and re-envisioned. Um, the league is a weird one this season. I mean, this Villa team beat Liverpool 7-2, as I said, I recognize that. We just came off beating United at Old Trafford, and then United, you know, looked like crap, uh, you know, a few days later, you know, in, in the Champions League and so on and so forth. Um, 
Should we just be more accepting that bad results are part of the modern Premier League, or are we, or do you feel that maybe we're, we're unfortunately not on the right path and need to change it? How how close are we to getting this in the right direction? So, I, I think um, I, I, you know, you, you're quite right that we don't take results and bad results in isolation. It's always like it comes as a bundle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that's fairly justified on this occasion, particularly, you know, that basically the lack of creativity, you're right. The conceding three goals thing, that was kind of, um, not quite a one-off. We concede three goals to Liverpool, but kind of a one-off, right? Notice we haven't we, talked about the defense this whole podcast because yeah, we acknowledge yeah. that's not the issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not getting done three nil, um, every week. Um, so you can kind of, uh, I wouldn't say write it off, but you can put it down to a bit of variance, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think. So on one hand, I think we do need, we do just need different players. And I I hate saying that because I think so much of like modern football analysis is really kind of poisoned is too strong a word, but it's it's a little bit contaminated by that, by the kind of, you know, man, you just like spend hundreds of millions and it's like, oh yeah, they need new players. But, you know, it's not so much that I think we need like, I mean, it'd be nice if we got like a load of 60 million players or pound players or whatever. But for me, it's much more about the type of player we need to recruit. If if we can like recruit Joe Willock, but better, brilliant. If we can like recruit Alex Lacazette, but better, brilliant. The, the kind of the problem is I talked about Villa's recruitment, right? They bought they bought a good striker. They bought a couple of good creative midfielders. They bought a good goalkeeper. When you look at what we tried to do with our attack this summer, it was Willian who hasn't pushed the dial because he's not a push the dial player. He's a player who, who holds the structure of your attack, but we haven't really got a good structure for our attack. But on the other hand, I think there are things we can do to get better. Definitely. And you can see how quickly things can change in football and how quickly they do change. Um, Villa, Villa have, Villa have overnight Everton overnight, or over one transfer window, completely transformed their teams. And neither of them are perfect. And they've both had bad results this season, but they they fixed some problems pretty quickly. And then you look at like our next opponent, a team like Leeds. We still have a lot more talent than Leeds do. Okay. But like Leeds, when you look at their players, they are mainly championship quality players, right? They were in mid-table in the championship before Bielsa came along. So you can coach players up, and I think we've seen a bit of that under Arteta. You can change things quickly. Um, But at the risk of repeating myself, I would say, you know, for Arteta, it's don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, you're going to have to eat some of the limitations of your attacking players. You're just going to have to, because at the moment... What's happening is, ironically, by being so really cautious and controlled about it, we're not even getting the best out of like the structure guys like Lacazette and Willian. They are both better players than this. Okay, so we're not even getting like the not very exciting attackers doing the not very exciting stuff very well. So that tells you that you've got to rip up and start again, really. And that tells you that at the very least, an improvement at the moment would be a slightly imperfect, slightly imbalanced attack that at least creates some kind of threat. Yeah, I mean, Arteta said it. We can't compete with the top sides if we score this many goals, if 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 our attack is struggling this much. That is undeniably true. And so there's no one else to fix that problem but him. And he, he has a tough group of people to fix it with because it is not out of the realm of possibility that William and Lacazette can't give him anything anymore. 
I mean, not not anything, but you know that they're not that they're not going to move the needle, and that he's going to have to get creative. And um, you know, I I mean, there's not a lot of options there that really set your pulse racing. So I I I feel for him in that respect. But that's you know he sits in the big chair at a big club, and it's not easy. No, it is not easy. He sits in a big chair at a big club that isn't scoring goals. And you know what you can't do at a big club, unless you're like you know Chelsea under Jose, where you're winning you know, with allowing 16 goals in a season. Um, you can't not score goals at a big club. You can lose. You can drop points at a big club. And people will tolerate it for a while if you're scoring 80 goals a season. If you're scoring 75 goals, if you're scoring 90 goals. If you're scoring 50 goals a season, 40, 48 goals a season, 55 goals a season, that's that's a hard sell for fans if the results aren't going with it. Um, you know, and I realized George Graham, one note of the Arsenal, all that, you know, it's in our DNA been a long time since that was the kind of football that Arsenal fans, I think, sort of held to their bosom. <laughs> and that, and that's where George Graham went was wrong. He yeah. actually he he <laughs> yeah. won the league with two really exciting teams that scored shit loads of goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, let's leave it there. I, there's going to be existential examinations for as long as this goes on. I, it is the challenge of the podcast, I think, is to stay focused on the game, but also address the issues. And I, I do kind of love that after losing 3-0, we didn't talk about the defense at all. Because what could be more Arsenal than that? Um, but but good. Uh, let, let's leave it there. We got a lot of content we're going to do over these two weeks um, to keep you busy and um, hopefully keep you active and, and, and happy and, and keep you company during the lockdown if you're experiencing one of those. So uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can and should block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives a five-star review. Go to manscaped.com, put in a promo code Arsenal Vision, and you can literally shave away all the bad opinions or at least, you know, hair. Uh, in any event, Leeds next. Doesn't get any easier, but you never know. Maybe that game where we win 10-0 is around the corner. So I'm going to say it now. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Leeds next.